The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and with me today in the studio, I have a guest, but I also have my co-host. Jason Good. I'm here, sorry, I was a little bit far from the microphone. I'm not used to this one over here. There you go. And this is episode number 120. So we're well in, almost, yeah, we're well into our third year. Yes, we are. That's amazing. I still can't believe sometimes, like if I play it all the way back to that original conversation we had, like we're thinking of doing a podcast. We don't know how it's going to go, but let's just try it. And then it's just turned into this huge thing, I think is really, really, really amazing. I mean, to the point where so many people are listening to us, we actually have phone calls into the centers recently as this week um, from Chris's story, Yep, who was, it was a three-year clean story, and a woman from California had reached in. And I thought that was great that it's reaching people and that people are calling in in response to it. It's interesting because I know people listen to this, but I also pretty much know for a fact that people don't always read my blogs because like, I look at the comments mm-hmm. that they write. So in the in the instance where I write about kids smoking bed bugs, oh yeah, to get high, and there's I look through the comments and people are like this is fake news, don't believe this. This I guess is ridiculous. Yeah, that's How can what people we said. Just, wait, and then it go and then people will say. Oh my God, society is on its downfall. Like, how could this be a thing? And it's like, because y'all didn't read what I just wrote. I could literally put up an, a thing on Facebook that just says a sentence about marijuana and a picture and it will link to nothing. And people will comment all day about what the article is about and there's nothing there because right. it's like these like buzzwords and people just have these incredible emotional responses to it. Yep. I know that all I have to do is write something about marijuana or Kratom or Suboxone and I'm going to upset three quarters of the people that even <laughs> come across it and they will spout their opinions everywhere without reading an iota of what I wrote because a lot of them have the same viewpoint as me but are arguing with me. Yep. And it's it's like, okay. I, okay. I, duly noted, Math Public. <laughs> um, so I, I find it very interesting because it's that easy. You can see how easily the public is, are, is influenced mm-hmm. by certain things that go on. That You know, if you scroll through your social media feed and you see all these things, they have thousands of shares and comments and all this stuff. It's very easy to, um, what's the word I'm looking for, I guess, upset people mm. when they're not actually looking at what's actually being written or talked about because these buzzwords go around, especially in the opioid crisis, um, to the point where people are, people's emotions are a little bit volatile. And right. so all I'm trying to do is give some real information, some factual data, put it out there, and let you all make your own conclusions. Uh, so, just, you know, I read something recently. I don't know if you guys came across it. I'm looking at Steve, too, as I say this. Uh, there was like a, a thing, a study that came out that said like in the last like three or four years, there's been 7 billion opioid pills prescribed in the United States. 7 billion with a B. Yeah. That's a lot of pills. Yeah. And the epidemic is obviously still very, very far reaching. And to uh, give a voice to that, I've also brought in a graduate of the program with me. Awesome. That I've dragged from the center over here so he could tell his story. He, we did a big graduation a couple of weeks ago and and Justin got up and told a story and it's an amazing story. It, it, it absolutely is. I think every story from an addict is amazing because if they're telling it, that means they survived. That's right. And that in itself is amazing, right? That's right. Because so many people unfortunately don't. That's right. And don't ever get a chance to tell their stories, 
but conversely, you know, the parents have to speak of their legacy. I love when I can bring a, a survivor yep. because every graduate of Narconon or anyone who ever gets clean is a true survivor. So That's right. we want to hear from Justin today That's right. and uh, have him tell us his story of survival. Justin, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you sharing your story. You make a very good point, um, Jason, that there are too many who can't share their story because they didn't make it. And uh, that's just, that's the worst. Yeah. That's the absolute worst. So I'm glad that you're here and you did survive and you are clean and sober. I am. And well done you. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. And that just, that actually is really good to hear somebody say that, like a survivor, somebody who's clean and sober for a long time. I didn't feel like I was ever going to get there. Right. Um, you know, I've been to multiple rehabs. I, were, I first went to treatment in uh, 2008. Um, well, let me stop you. Go ahead, go ahead. Let me ask you to go back to the beginning okay. on when you got started on drugs. How did you get introduced to drugs? How did that whole journey start for you? Um, it was in high school. Um, I, was, I was a basketball player. I played um, high school basketball. Um, I started to seek um, stuff in other ways. Um, I really was was very like wrapped up in my basketball world, and I started drinking a lot. Um, started going to alcohol was always uh, my go-to when I was when I was younger. Um, then I then I start, uh, once basketball ended um, is when really things took off for me. Um, I started drinking every day. Um, then I got into the party drugs, cocaine, LSD. Um, tried all those mushrooms. Went back to alcohol. Um, drank for for years um my whole 20s was just a, a blur um so it was really you know just one day after the other um failing at pretty much everything i tried to do after high school i mean i, I got through college actually got hooked on adderall in college that was how i basically got through it because you know I, I was i was a, a finance major and and I, I drank too much to be able to even get up in the morning and, and go to class so i i used chemical help to even go to college um i would i would get drunk hungover um pop a couple adderalls in the morning and go to school did you get prescribed adderall? i did i got prescribed okay. loads of adderall in college for for what i mean uh, like oh, what I was thought, the what was I, the diagnosis ADHD. Oh, my diagnosis was adhd um i couldn't concentrate because i was always loaded on alcohol okay so but, but that's you know, a me- that's a mental problem though that's a oh, mental yeah. disorder oh, yeah. you, no. you can't concentrate because you drank too much mm-hmm. It means you have a mental disorder, which is ADHD. So we're just going to be speed to, with your coffee, I guess. I, I, your think that's, I think that could be caused by something physical, like too much alcohol, maybe. <laughs> maybe so. I don't know. And I couldn't figure out why I was always depressed in, in college. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I was always down, sad. Um, I remember crying after tests and stuff. And, you know, I, I had no idea why. Um, I do now. I mean, I was on loads of Adder- Adderall and I was drinking every night. I never slept. Um, I was sleep deprived, um, everything that you could imagine, unhealthy. But, you know, I, I was actually able to go and study, so that made it okay for me, even though I was miserable and in so much pain, not really even con- concentrating on my major. This was in my early 20s in college, so um, I didn't know any better back then. Right. I really didn't. You know, I thought I thought my drinking would take care of itself. I thought the Adderall was just fine to get through college. I knew plenty of other people that did it. So that made it okay. I just temporary it in fix. Many yep. different ways. Yeah. Um, it wasn't really till after college when I started getting into my degree of finance and going to jobs that required me to, to really be responsible and, and do things that uh, somebody who drinks that way and takes uh, amphetamines the way I was doing and, and cycling back and forth between them. 
I, there was no way I could be productive or, do, or reach any kind of potential that way. So that's when it was when I was like probably like four or five years after college, I was almost 28, where I really realized that, that, that some things needed to change. Because you're still doing it. You're still right. drinking and you're still taking Adderall. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, every day. Every single day. Every single night. Um, it got to the point um, at my the job that I, I had when I went to my first treatment that I was, I was drinking in the morning just to be able to go to work. Wow. So, um, I, I, what really kind of pushed me back then is I, I went to it and got a physical, uh, I can't remember why, but they told me my liver enzymes were like out of whack, mm-hmm. like pretty, pretty high for, for my age. I was 28. Right. So to hear like my organs are already in trouble at that age was, was pretty scary. Yeah. Um, I knew I didn't feel healthy, but I was still surprised that like, things were that bad that quickly and i mean i remember the first time i went to treatment they said if you don't quit drinking dude you might not see 30 wow so like that was a real eye-opener for me so so that was that was 11 years ago um that back then i knew i had a problem um i didn't know how to fix it i just knew that i needed to do something about it right um so that's when i went to treatment for the first time i went to a 12-step rehab 11 years ago um I have been in and out of those things for off and on for those whole 11 years trying to figure out how best to do it. You know, I always was bothered by the whole um, I'm going to be an alcoholic addict for the rest of my life. That mindset really because it just didn't feel right to me. It well, never why, felt right. Well, how are you going to get better? If, right. we, if I tell you that you have a disease and you cannot ever get better, what's the point? It It, it makes it. It, it, it turns a stepping stone into a mountain. Yeah. You know, like for me to really get past addiction, I had to take one step, really want it, and then work on myself. And back then it was like this whole mountain of a lifetime that I'm trying to overcome in a month. Right. You know, and trying to like, and do this like daily maintenance of a, of going and talking about how I'm an alcoholic or I'm an addict every single day. It didn't work for me. Right. Um, I don't I would, think it worked for Jason either. No, I, I was just like, oh, he's talking about meetings. <laughs> <laughs> because I'll tell you, one of the most depressing places ever, I ever found in the middle of my addiction wasn't necessarily like in my car shooting up or it wasn't, you know, sitting in a bad neighborhood trying to get high because I was sick. It was like being in some meetings when you're in a room full of very sad, depressed, not happy people. It's kind of like you do that when in Rome thing and all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm sad too. And I used to say, if that's what I have to look forward to, once I get clean, I don't want it. Right. And they would always say, well, the newcomers, if you want what we have, just keep coming back. I'm like, I'm never coming back. (laughs) (laughs) I remember thinking that I wouldn't say that, of course, because that's the world I found myself in. So I don't know, Justin, if you could attest to this, but it's like you find yourself just trying to conform to whatever that is, whether you believe in it or not, or you feel like it works or not yet feel like that's the only thing to do well absolutely i mean i think that's just that's part of part of the way that that program is designed is is, it's our way the highway um i think what really bothered me about that whole situation wasn't if there's one saving grace i got out of all those those treatments in those years it's that i knew being clean and sober felt better i knew i liked myself better that way um but i kept reverting back i kept going back i kept um for some reason or another, you know, whether it was unhappy at work, broken relationships, whatever it was, I was not healed as a person ever. Right. So when those things happened, I didn't know how to handle them. I didn't know how to uh, adjust to, to, to hard times, handle my emotions, like any of that stuff. 
um, I went back to the one place I knew I could get immediate comfort. Right. It was the one place that also was going to turn my life in, into a living hell again. Right. You know? So that, that was, but it's like I didn't care in the moment because it, things would get so overwhelming and I didn't know how to handle those situations and, and do anything about it that I knew one way. Right. And, and when, that, when that kept happening and I, and I knew this place was out there for me, this place of being, you know, my mindset, uh, being, you know, clear-headed, sober, waking up in the morning without a hangover, without withdrawal, or without anything in my body to make me feel like crap, I knew that that was a better place for me. But I kept going back, and I right. didn't understand it. And when I kept going back, I began to feel like a failure. Right. I began to lose hope. I began to feel like a lot of what, you know, those friends that you have growing up, and they kind of like, separate themselves from you because you're just not a pleasant person to be around anymore as an right. addict um so you know i didn't have the type of life that i wanted yet i kept going back to the life that i hated right so that was really tough for me and, and you know after multiple rehabs and multiple chances what i felt like were you know i kept getting all these chances i kept you know making the wrong decisions you know what's happening like what what keeps going on in my head to make me go back, and then, and then, one one of the things I had to come come to the realization of when I went through this this last program, I had to truly want to make changes for myself. Right. Um, I had to change my way of thinking. I had to not just want to stop taking drugs and not just want my life to get better. I had to make real, impactful, lasting changes. Right. Um, Let me stop you for a second, yeah. Justin. So, how many twelve step programs did you do? Uh, I did. About 10 full 10. programs and probably a handful more detoxes. And going um, through those, mm-hmm. how, what was the longest you were able to stay sober after those? Um, well, I, I used to say a year and a half, um, but I was still on the, the Focalin, which is just a different kind of uh, amphetamine. It's like an Adderall, but it's like a milder form, they say. Ah, what was I it was, again? What's the name again? Focalin, I believe. Focal- it oh, was, okay. This was 10 years ago, but okay. it was... It was when I first went, it was after my first treatment. I got it. Um, the times began dwindling down. Like I would, I went a year and a half without drinking. You know, I went to rehab first, the first time for alcohol. Okay. Um, that was, I put alcohol aside. I was still taking the, the amphetamines for work. So I really wasn't I got clean it. sober. You know, I, got I like it. to say I was, but right. I wasn't. Um, did you, were you, did you live near your family? Was your family aware you had a problem? Oh yeah, absolutely. My family has, has. None. I've had a problem. I, I, you know, I've never really. After I got out of my twenties into my thirties, I, I really haven't denied it very much, right? Um, because it's obvious. Um, right. You know, I would get defensive and get get very um, antagonistic, and I would almost make it difficult for them to bring up to me because they didn't like the argument or the confrontation either. Right. Um, so I, I became very manipulative in that way. Um, they wanted to see me and have me around, so they knew. If they wanted me to stay or be around, best not bring it up. Right. Um, so it became, it was like walking on eggshells. Uh, I mean, it right. was just, it was very, very awkward at times, very uncomfortable around my family because I love my family. Right. And they love me. Right. Um, but it just wasn't a, a good communication or relationship that we had with them. Right. Or that I had with them. Just a reminder that you are listening to the addiction podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast, go to theaddictionpodcast.com 
or visit and like our Facebook page by the same name, or email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or call us at 727-314-7080. For further information on Narcan on Suncoast, call 877-339-3324. Please subscribe to The Addiction Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and give us a five-star review. Do you have a loved one struggling with drug addiction or alcohol addiction, and you've tried everything to help them and failed? Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast for a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. That's newmaninterventions.com, N-E-W-M-A-N-I-N-T-E-R-V-E-N-T-I-O-N-S.com. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. Do it today. So how did, how did you find Narcanon and when? Um, I found Narcanon uh, through my brother. He, he actually was doing insurance uh, for you guys. So it was through a family member. Oh. Um, I don't remember exactly when I got it think about that um just curious it doesn't yeah. matter i'm just curious so yeah. your brother did, was helping like people get insurance to do the program is that is that what you mean he was actually he had gone there to 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 talk to the employees okay right when i needed it was help. for employee okay. insurance yeah. oh i see so okay when he came up he was like well you know it's interesting because i have a brother that struggles with addiction that's how we got connected with oh him. interesting okay yeah and, and one thing i should probably mention going back with with my story especially you know i talked about a lot about alcohol um it didn't remain alcohol um when i when i got uh off the alcohol uh, and a couple years later i i was playing basketball tweaked my back and sure enough i was prescribed percocets for the pain ah okay um that sent me down a whole road that i could never have imagined at the time you know i'd never had a problem with illegal drugs um, or have been addicted to them, so to speak. I had experience with my party drugs in college, but I just kept going back to alcohol. Then when I just, you know, got sick of the alcohol, my body started rejecting it. Then I, these pills come along, and I, I get this sensation from the pills that it was very much let me feel good like alcohol. Right. But it didn't come with what I perceived back then, the negative side effects. Now, right. I was completely naive to withdrawal. I was completely naive to, you know, opiate withdrawal and things that are going to happen later down the road i just knew i liked the feeling and i knew that that i I didn't sound like a drunk or act like a drunk when i was on the on the percocets right um i remember the first time i took those at work thought my day was great Uh you know i'm flying by talking had this this wonderful day well i can start doing this at work nobody knows you know i don't seem impaired at least i didn't think so at the time right um of course my mood was totally out of whack. I mean, I can see that looking back, but 
you know, th- that's when the painkillers became an everyday thing. They weren't prescribed for pain anymore. They were an addiction. Right. Um, it, it, that happened extremely quickly. Within a month, I was hooked on painkillers. Wow. Um, and is that what you were on when you started Narconon? Uh, I was on heroin. Heroin. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so, so how did you segue into heroin? Well, um, it wasn't hard. I mean, it took a few years for me to actually be... Heroin is one of those drugs that has the stigma attached to it, rightly, rightfully so, but I... I never wanted to do that um i was i didn't want to put needles in my in my body and um you know it was one compromise after another with right. my addiction i mean one time it was you know i won't take uh take the painkillers i won't snort them and then i snort them and then i started uh injecting them um after that because i wanted to see what it i wanted to feel what it you know i wanted to try and feel feel what it felt like right to inject it and then that that happened and i never went back um the street price for painkillers where I was from was astronomical. Okay. So I couldn't afford to, to say, like, my, my tolerance built so high, especially when you start injecting painkillers. I mean, your, your opiate tolerance just spikes um, out just, of nowhere. Just because, mm-hmm. I'm, just because I'm a little bit of a novice. So mm-hmm. when you inject them, what do you do? You, like, crush them up? And yeah, put you crush them, them up in water mix, or something. Mix them in water. Um, okay. And we're gonna leave that there, as I don't want to give anyone any yeah. ideas on how to do it. Okay. Right. No, no. <laughs> but I just was trying. Okay. Yeah. No. It, it's it's a pretty simple process. Um, okay. Once you learn how to do it, it's it's not hard. And where when you said where you were from, where was that? Tallahassee. Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tallahassee, Florida. Um, really, I mean, there's there's so many um, pill farms, or there were at the time, and in, in Florida, yeah. it was just <clears throat> it was out of control, but. Um, people would pay this money for the pills because if they don't have them, they went through serious withdrawal. And when you right. go through that withdrawal, you'll do just about anything to make it go away. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that, that happened. And, and once, you know, it was a couple of years fighting that battle. Uh, I say fighting, you know, doing that. Um, going to rehabs, coming out. I got uh, I got prescribed Vivitrol, which I don't know if you know what Vivitrol is. It's, a, it's an opiate blocker shot they give you once a month. Um, that blocks the effects of, of opiates. That's right. We've talked about that before. Right. It blocks right. the effects of opiates, but not other drugs. That's where I'm going with that. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I couldn't do opiates, and I felt good about it because op- opiate withdrawal was the most painful, uh, hellish experience I've ever been through. Okay. Um, over and over again, you know, I was either sick or high, sick or high, sick or high. I mean, okay. it was just like the cycle that I went through, and it was it was exhausting. It was terrible. Um, and so when I... When I got on the Vivitrol shot, you know, I had to try it out, make sure it worked, of course, right. and didn't get high. So now I'm like, okay, I'm I'm done with opiates. Um, that's when I thought about Adderall, you know, because I went back to my college days. Well, I can. They said amphetamines doesn't block those. So, well, Adderall turned to coke, coke turned to crack, and for a year I was smoking crack every day, doing coke in between, and before I knew it, I was full blown crackhead. Um, wow. Had no, I, I never even liked cocaine or crack in the past. Right. But now that you know, I, now I, that you I, can't do heroin. Right. Couldn't do heroin. Couldn't do pills. And and I also, I didn't like being a drunk. I didn't like the effect it had on my body and 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 how horrible I felt all the time and how miserable I looked. Right. Um. Alcohol just drained my body. So I, I I've never really enjoyed going back to alcohol. Um. So I had to find something new because I wasn't. I wasn't in a place where I was ready to quit, obviously. Um, Tried all these medical options. You know, I did the, I even got a prescription of Suboxone, took that one day and didn't like it. And, you know, that was that. But um, once 
I stopped taking the Vivitrol. I went right back. And that, now I'm speedballing. Now I'm doing Coke, Coke and Crack and heroin together, wow. which is about the most dangerous thing a person can do. Yeah. And I didn't care. I mean, at that point, I didn't care. I was so hopeless and lost that I, I just didn't care what happened to me. And how old were you at uh, that, by that point? I'm 38 now. That was the last couple of years. Okay. Wow. So, um, you know, it took a while to get to that point. But once I did, it was just fair game. Like, I, I really didn't care if I OD'd or not. I, I, I never did, that, to my knowledge. Um, but it wasn't because I was a smart drug user. I just got lucky. You just got lucky. Um, you know, I just never had that hot shot that, that people, you know, that ends people's lives. Right. Um, and, I, and I was so lost and, and, and down on myself. I really didn't care. Like, I, I didn't want to, you know, I was never, like, suicidal, like, to where I wanted to kill myself because I, I would hate to do that to my family, and I didn't want to give up that way. But I just, I had just lost all, all like, communication with myself like I really just didn't care right so so when your brother told you about Narcanon mm -hmm. did you need an intervention or did you go okay I'm gonna try that because my brother's telling me what what um how did that happen I was it was actually it, it was good because I was already um looking for a place okay um I'd had an engagement end I'd had a bad relationships end and I was I was I was really just I had nothing nothing in my life that was giving me any peace so I, I i like i said i've been to rehabs plenty of times i've never not wanted to go to rehab i was just tired of of, of failing right um so I, I was wanting something a fresh new approach something different um i heard non 12 step um i was told about the sauna program the, the new life detoxification which is which you know is something that i've never seen anywhere else um it's a bit of a game changer yeah. And I have to say a, the least. Yeah, yeah it, it, it really is. And I have a good friend um, that works at Narconon too. And he told me, like, dude, we got to get you feeling better. Like, before we can really tackle this thing, we got to get you feeling better. And I don't even really know what that means. You know, right. like, I'm just like, well, what's feeling better mean? You right. know, like, I've gone to rehabs plenty of times, thought I felt better. The coolest thing that I can say about the, the, the sauna program is it, when you go through withdrawal and sauna at Narconon, it, it's about, you know, give or take, everybody's different, but it's about the same amount of time that I was in a 12-step rehab. Right. You know, close to a month. Yeah. Um, give or take. Was that 28 days insurance pays yeah. for or something yeah. like that? So yeah. I remember how I felt physically and mentally leaving those rehabs. And I remember how I felt physically and mentally after sauna. And there is absolutely no comparison. What's the difference? Uh, Tell us the difference. I felt like a, a teenager again. Oh, wow. I mean, I, I was sleeping. I was getting that deep sleep at night. Um... I was waking up with energy. I was smiling more. I was happy. I was like, I was myself again. Like I had that, that my mood had completely stabilized. Wow. So I wasn't having those up and down, those invasive thoughts, those things that were always in my head, um, holding me back. Right. Like that had totally cleared up and I, I wasn't obsessed with that anymore. I wasn't obsessed with everything I'd done wrong in the past. I was just living for now in the future. And that was something that was brand new to me. Wow. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So after, uh, we've talked about this before, but after you do the new life sauna detox, then you do the objective drills. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? That was, that was an amazing experience. Um, you know, I really put my all into it. I went in there with an open mind and really decided that I'm going to get the most out of this as I possibly can. Um, to project outward, to, to get your, get, get a, uh, somebody who's been addicted to drugs out of their head mm -hmm. and, and into the present time and really like 
focusing on what's going around and not thinking about everything that's happened to them, all all the, you know, miserable uh, times they've had addicted to drugs. Um, that's something I obsessed about. I was very hard on myself, like a lot of addicts are. Like, you beat yourself down. I mean, right. that's just something that that's part of the the equation with that. And um, so once I really began looking at that and was able to kind of do some do these objectives that that take your attention outward put them on something else right you know and and to where i'm not thinking uh, thinking about everything that went wrong now i'm thinking about what's going right you know and, and i'm starting to get excited i'm starting to realize there's a big difference in me there's starting there's changes that are happening my 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 whole way of thinking is completely reversing it's going in a place that it hasn't gone since I was since probably before my my first addiction started. Right. So I mean that that was an exciting feeling and and to have that happen and experience it, um, there's really not many words I can put behind it. It's it's everybody would have to experience that for themselves. Right. So you said it was it was completely different than previous rehabs. Mm-hmm. Just so that we can do a comparison, when you finished previous rehabs, what was your mindset? Scared. Scary. Okay. Yeah, I was scared. I okay. was always fearful of leaving. Um, I didn't of, maybe, of going back on. Right. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't maybe project that, but I. I knew there was something not right still. Right. Um. I had proven it to myself, and and the more I went to treatment, and the more I got out, the more that mindset became more prevalent because I've already proven myself this isn't working. Yeah. So yeah. it's it, it became more and more fearful. Like I. I was comfortable in that bubble, you know, because I wasn't in that bubble with, the, you know, the 12-step rehabs where I wasn't able to go out and get drugs, get drunk, whatever, because I was in, a, like, a safe environment. Right. So when it came time to leave, I wasn't ready. Yeah. Um, and Over and, and over again. Yeah, yeah, and the reason why I asked you that, because I think it's important for, you know, people who are listening, especially mm-hmm. if they they themselves have been through um, a program that didn't really work for them or... And and make no mistake, twelve step does work for some people. Oh, absolutely, we, we had um, an interview last mm-hmm. week, and she went to meetings, and the meetings saved her life, and absolutely. went to other you know rehabs and such. But but I think it's important to to make the distinction between leaving a rehab where you know like you're scared about mm-hmm. you know getting back onto drugs and and you know scared about your future versus where you're at now. Right which is being excited about your future and knowing you're not going to get back on drugs. I think it's a big distinction. I I think so. I I think one of the main reasons, one of the the big things that happened for me too was like, I knew all this when I left the previous rehabs, I knew all this stuff that I needed to do, or I was told I I was supposed to do. And, and you know, whatever, whatever helps you get there. I'm all for. Right. Um, I know plenty of people that have been successful in different avenues of getting past addiction. Yep. And, and I have nothing against that. It wasn't working for me. Right. And one thing that, that really happened this last time is what I, what I started wanting, what I was wanting to do and what I needed to do began lining up. They became one and the same. Okay. Um, so it was no longer like all this stuff I needed to do that I didn't want to do, but it was going to help me sober and I had to do it. Um, and it was just very overwhelming feeling. All of a sudden, like, I'm starting to do things. I'm starting to make decisions, take responsibility, and do the things that I need to do. And those are also the things that I want to do. You know, they put a smile on my face. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. I think it's very important, something that uh, Justin said, that I kind of want to echo a little bit. When Sometimes when you're in 12-step, I'm just going to say it blatantly. Sometimes when you're in 12-step, the idea of being able to stay clean long-term 
and having to do the things that they suggest sometimes feels completely insurmountable. Like I have no idea how I'm actually going to do that and be successful. Right. Yeah, I remember sitting in 12 step groups um, while in the 12 in a rehab center saying there's absolutely no way this is, I'm going to be able to stay clean through this. Like I like every almost every hour was like a struggle to get through it without completely obsessing about getting high all the time right. or about how doped up you felt from whatever, you know, psych drugs they put you on or whatever that leaving rehab, going to a halfway house, doing 12 step meetings, getting a job and doing all that seems like completely not doable. Insurmountable. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. You said it kind of feels like you're climbing a mountain. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you don't have the tools, and, like you don't have the it, rope and you don't have the hold, handholds. Because your mindset isn't at a point where it even seems like a remote possibility. Because at least for me, I felt terrible every day. Right. And every day was such a struggle. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it was, if it was like that for you. But every day was such a struggle to even just get through it. That's just like, how am I going to stay clean for the rest of my life? How is right. that even a remote possibility so i i get that right yeah. and i and i think it's just super important that people get that on the podcast because mm-hmm. okay some people can actually just stop taking drugs without any kind of treatment and we've had people on the podcast talking about that but if you're listening and either you yourself have done rehab after rehab after rehab and think that you can't get better yo that's why we do this podcast because you can't actually get better. Or if you have a loved one and they've gone through rehab after rehab after rehab, it's kind of like answers. You know, yeah. How of, many? How many we had on here that have said I did? You know, I did eight rehabs. I did ten rehabs. You did a bunch of rehabs. Yeah. You know, and it's like there, there is. You know, there is hope. I just, you know, I, I, I remember you saying you were. They called you a throwaway addict, which absolutely made me sick to my stomach because I can see how someone addicted could get to that mind frame Mm -hmm. on their own, even without somebody telling you that because it's not working. Yeah. And the person we interviewed last week even said he went to a rehab where there was like 30 people in there and they said in like, was he said in like a year from now, most, all, most of you will be dead. One of you might be sober. Yeah, exactly. I got, I actually got, I got that same reality check when I was in treatment. It's like, do you think that's going to work or are you going to drive people into apathy about the fact that they're probably not going to get clean? If you look at just the statistic they just gave you, there's 30 of you in a room. One of you will be clean in a year. It's like, uh, okay, I might as well just throw in the towel now. And some families are like, we just don't understand they go through all these rehabs. Why don't they get clean? Because they don't feel like they can. It seems right. impossible. Yeah. And and I think they do that. They use scare tactics a lot. And I just want to say one thing real Absolutely. quick. Absolutely. Um, Jason brought up a really good point. Um, I remember like it was my second or third rehab. I got in there and, you know, they do the med detox at most 12-step rehabs. Um, I was three days into treatment. I was on detox. And the doctor there tried to, to uh, prescribe me medication for depression. I mean, if you think about that, I'm I'm three days in. I'm coming off substances. I'm still in detox, Let's and they're already giving me a one. diagnosis of depression um, before I even have time to clear up and, and like start feeling like myself again. Do you think that maybe being addicted to drugs could be a slightly depressing factor? Yeah, yeah. I went into a doctor's office in the middle of my addiction. I went to a doctor's office. They said, "How are you feeling?" And I said, oh, I'm pretty sad. You know, my grandfather just died. I said, don't worry. I'll help you. You wrote me a prescription for antidepressants. I'm like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. I'm already on antidepressants. I don't need that. Sorry. And I'm still, dep- I'm still depressed. Yeah. But they're that quick to just situationally 
you're sad. Here's a drug that's you know what's the what's the word, um, non-optimal symptomology or something. It's just like are you like you're giving a guy three days into his drug kick and he says, yeah, I don't feel good. I'm pretty depressed right now, as one is when they're detoxing. I, that mentality is clinical just, diagnosis. They give yeah. you a clinical diagnosis. It's like that's malpractice to me. I'm sorry. Yep. I'm sorry. I'm saying it's malpractice. That can't yeah. be a thing. That can't yeah. be allowed. That can't be realistic. They cannot teach you in medical school. And a person's in the throes of withdrawal off a drug, they're most likely clinically depressed because the, the, the best thing for an addict's self-esteem is to give them a label. Yep. It's a, and I think one of the things, too, is that, that bother me. And I don't, I don't want to like harp on, on their program, but there's a saying that focus on our similarities and not our differences. And that, that also bothered me because I have my own issues. Every, everything was I – wasn't, I wasn't doing anything for Justin. I was just – I was doing everything that was done like in this general sense. You know, right. they just put a label on you and then here's what works without evaluating myself at all, you know, without really making any changes for me, changing my way of thinking and all that. So, um, that's where I had to get for me. That's, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And you are working there now? I am. I am. And that was, that was another thing that I I said about, you know, what I was wanting to do and what I needed to do were lining up. I mean, that was something I never would have dreamed of doing a while back. You know, like I said, I was finance major. I've had, you know, I've only known one thing as far as career and you know, it kind of dawned on me. I got a lot of experience in something else too. Yes, you know, addiction, and you know, I I think I can get a lot of fulfillment out of, of trying to help people and, and help them experience what I've experienced. And um, so yeah, I mean, I I it didn't even take long to make that decision once I th- really thought about it. It was like, you know, I, I need to do this. Um, I want to do this. So yeah, I mean, I stayed on. It's been great so far. Um, I wake up with a smile on my face just about every day. You know, sometimes I'm tired, but um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's it's been it's been wonderful. It's it's definitely been the, the right decision for me. Yep. Well, I think Jason can tell you that it's definitely a fulfilling mm-hmm. way to go. And I think one of the things that sets Narcanon apart from other, you know, rehabs is that the people that work there that deal with the people who come in, been there, done that. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. and and it's huge. I think. I think it's one of the most important things for somebody to be able to tell you, I've been there. I can I can help you through this. Yep. So. Justin, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. The pleasure's been all mine. Thank you. Really, for really appreciate it, Jason. We need to do this again. We need more like, graduates on like, here, like week after refre- week after week. It's always refreshing. I know to hear a story come out that's as awesome as Justin's because it's like, dude, it's like eleven years. Yep. Of not getting it right to finally. Getting it right. Thank you again, Justin. Thank Appreciate you, you being here. And uh, Jason, we will talk again. You got it. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.